today on Ag News Daily. When we look at that and they've been buying some record amounts of corn, we think the demand side of the story could be at least two or three hundred million bushels too small. And we're going to have to see the USDA raise those, you know, raise to the, the, the demand that to that level of the Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here sitting in air conditioning. Power was turned on for me this past weekend, joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, is your juice running yet? It is. It was turned on Friday evening. So we got it right as I was heading home from work and it was the best news I've ever received. Absolutely. I don't know if we have any linemen and women that listen to the Ag News Daily podcast, but if they do, thank you folks for working so hard to get uh, Central Iowa power turned back on Been connecting with folks. It sounds like by the end of this week, everybody should have power, at least based on uh, reports out over the weekend. So that's pretty exciting post derecho news. And we've also got Ashton Carr on the podcast. Ashton, I assume you've still got power down there in Texas. I do, luckily. And today it's a pretty nice day. Uh, We had, I guess, a little bit of rain come through early this morning, late last night, whatever you want to call it. And it's only 81 degrees. I have my weather app pulled up right now. So it's a pretty great day down here. Well, that is fantastic. This is, of course, Market Monday. We'll be chatting the markets here in just a bit. But before we do, we've got to talk about the other news that is impacting agriculture. Delaney, what stories are you keeping an eye on today? Well, I have been watching the tweets and news posts coming in because, of course, today begins the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. And so we've got folks kind of in the east and west legs starting out here. It looks like they've got some good weather as well. But uh, both South Dakota and Ohio numbers coming in right now for both corn and soybeans are showing close to that 181, if not higher, yield that USDA forecast in their WISE report last week. Iowa is, of course, going to be the big wild card here, but Nebraska is talking to our good friend Ted Seifert. We're probably going to have to have him on the podcast later this week. He was saying that Nebraska was not looking quite so favorable. So it does seem pretty varied. Of course, this is going to be kind of the first preliminary aspects we see, damage assessments we see from folks boots on the ground from that storm derecho. Yeah, so this is going to be very telling. I think the trade will be watching the market, or I think the market will be watching the tour very closely to kind of see how things end up looking out. But we also had news this past week that uh, is interesting news, I think, for a lot of our listeners in the Southern Plains. This was out of China. We saw that China made a huge purchase of sorghum. They've done this uh, once before, certainly back in 2014, early 2015, China was out there aggressively buying U.S. sorghum, pushed basis to a historically wide level, and it would appear that they're doing the same thing again this year. 32 million bushels of sorghum sold just in the last week. That is a new weekly record for sorghum exports. So, you know, we've had... uh, Sorghum Checkoff CEO Tim Lust on the podcast, and he came out with a quote quote afterwards. He said, U.S. sorghum farmers should be encouraged by these continued sales to China. We are making improvements to our crop, not only from a yield and technology standpoint, but also through quality measures, which are translating directly to international buyers in noticeably improved basis numbers across the country. So we are definitely seeing that sorghum market heat up quite a bit. Well, you know, Mike, speaking of demand, we don't yet know... Of course, uh, who 
this purchase was, but the FAS reported 130,000 metric tons of hard red wheat sold to, quote, unknown destinations this morning. And the trade is, again, assuming that China stepped in here to purchase some wheat. And we saw wheat rally pretty hard today, as well as the other grains. So it does appear China is stepping in to buy quite a bit more products. But I've also heard some rumors and trickles that perhaps President Trump and the Trump administration are giving China some slack on the phase one trade agreement because they are stepping in and still continuing to buy purchases. It's been rumored that that August meeting when they were going to come together and discuss phase one trade agreement has been postponed. Oh, interesting. So I had kind of anticipated China making these purchases ahead of that mm-hmm. to kind of grease the wheels, but huh. Yes. So that that's the latest rumor on the wires today. But uh, yeah, they are certainly stepping in. I think it it just really lends itself to looking like there's some backroom deals going on, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, international trade disputes, I'm sure there are folks working in the back rooms, but I guess we'll just have to see when and if this uh, review gets rescheduled. Yes. Well, Ashton, what headlines are you keeping an eye on today? Well, I have some news from China myself following up with the Shenzhen city talking about the coronavirus that they found on chicken wings from Brazil. And they have said the city of Shenzhen has said that they are requiring additional tests on frozen meat and seafood. And the government said on its official microblog earlier this morning, it had set up a central warehouse where all imported foods already cleared through customs would need to undergo further tests before being sold or processed in the city. And the new warehouse is set to begin operations on August 18th. I believe that is tomorrow. And they will sterilize outer packaging and run coronavirus tests on samples of the frozen meat and seafood that comes in to the warehouse. All right. So they are indeed stepping up enforcement, which is, you know, something they've been talking about for some time. It certainly is, Mike. I have just one other quick update here as we continue to follow the storm derecho. We, of course, saw Vice President Pence in Iowa last week. And of course, a lot of his time was spent discussing the damages. And then we followed that up by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds requesting some federal aid after those straight line winds smashed a lot of the state. $4 billion in federal aid, to be exact. We did see President Trump announced today on Monday that he is going to be distributing federal aid for the state of Iowa. I don't believe he has said that about any other states other than Iowa yet. Well, and that makes sense. I think Iowa was hardest hit, I believe, also first to request any uh, any federal funding. So that uh, that makes sense. We'll have to see when and how those funds are going to be deployed. Yes, we will. Well, before we jump into the markets, I just want to hit on a quick story here coming from Deb Stanbro, who is the president of the Iowa chapter of the American Society for Farm Manager and Rural Appraisers. She's an appraiser at Farm Credit Services America, and she is reporting that in 2020, at least the first half of 2020, I guess I should specify, in Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, and Wyoming, they are seeing stable demand for land. And even though the demand is stable, Fewer listings and low interest rates are helping to support the market, and prices are staying stable throughout the year. So there's some uh, some good news for folks that are landowners using that to help buttress balance sheets in this challenging time. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're finally, I feel like, going to get a little pick-me-up. I don't want to jinx it too much, but uh, we've been down for a long time. So any sort of good news like the commodity markets today boosts uh, other news like this. Yeah, it's nice to have uh, have some positive morale, that's for sure. And Delaney, like you say, the market movements today certainly should be adding a little pep in the step of grain and meat producers. It certainly should, Mike. Should we take a look at those closing prices? Well, let's do that. Let's take a quick look. Look here, we got green on the screen in the grains. In September, corn, we were up six and a half cents at 331 even. December, up six and three quarters, closed at 344 and three quarters. Over in soybeans, the September was up 15 and a half cents, finishing at 912 and a half. November, new crop, up 16 and a half to close at 915 and a quarter. Wheat wasn't left out today. September, Chicago, up 16 and a half at 516 and a half. December, up 16 and three quarters to close at 526 and a quarter. Looking over at the world, of livestock. We got weakness today in the cattle complex. October live cattle down 35 cents at 109.8750. December down 25, closed at 112.5750. And in feeders, September down $2.17.5 cents at 144.40. October down $2.22.5, closing at 145.20. In lean hogs, did see some green. The October contract up 50 cents at 53.52.5. December up 32.5 to close at 54.95. And a quick look at the dairy market. Class three milk seeing a little bit of weakness today. The August contract down four cents at 19.85 with the September down 46, closing at 1642. Without further ado, let's get into a detailed discussion of the markets with our friend, Sean Hackett. Well, as promised for today's market discussion, we are talking to Sean Hackett, president of Hackett Financial Advisors. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Sorry we couldn't have you on the podcast last Monday, but uh, I tell you what, that storm is causing some excitement in the, in the grain markets, finally. Well, after uh, you know uh, about a month of really, really depressing behavior for prices, it looks like that might be a catalyst to get a lot of short covering and maybe some better prices. So, you know, not that I wish that upon Iowa, but you know, we'll take what we can get. So, yeah, sometimes that is all we can do. And what we're getting seems to be a little bit of a counter seasonal rally. Let's talk about the corn market. The past really two or three trading days have seen a powerful move to the upside. Sean, how much more can this market run? We have been predicting that we would have a counter cyclical rally late in the season many months ago. Uh, a pre La Nina year, which is the one we're in, typically has weather problems in the back half of the summer that tends to push the seasonals upside down so that we rally into the, into the September and not fall. And so we think we can run much higher, um, Mike. We think we can actually run in probably 380 corn or so. Um, and the basis behind that is when we look at all the factors, we think our carryout's gonna come down to about a 1.8 billion bushel carryout when it's all said and done between increased demand, reduced yields, um, and when we look at the last eight years, we've averaged three eight of corn, you know, plus or minus a few cents. So, so it's, we're just, we believe the pandemic overshot corn to the downside and we're simply going reversing back to normalcy here. And we think that's what we're up to now. John, when you look technically at both the December and the September corn contracts, they've got some gaps to fill. December corn has nearly filled that gap, but September corn is pretty far away still from filling that gap. What is going on with those two and why is one closer to filling the gap as opposed to the other? What's going on, I guess, with uh, with the technicals there? Well, they typically blow that spread out as harvest begins. 
uh, Delaney. And and so, you know, typically September is the is the month that it feels that early harvest pressure. December is the month that sort of says, well, by the time we get to December, we're going to have the crop put away and we're going to worry about South American weather. So so that spread kind of spreading out is typical. But I would argue that if we start getting some panic trading here or some panic short covering, we could actually see that spread counter seasonally narrow here um, over the next 30 days. So, Sean, I want to kind of focus back on your carryout numbers. Looking at a 1.8 billion bushel number, what are you factoring in for demand? In particular, what does your forecast for ethanol demand look like? Well, when we look at ethanol demand, Mike, you know, we've, we're almost, we're almost not quite, but almost back to where we should be, um, on a, at least on a monthly basis. And so with crude oil consistently now in the 40s, we think we're going to have a normal run rate, meaning going forward, we're going to have normal demand for ethanol. Uh, the big kicker, though, is that the exports for corn, which have been very, very disappointing for the last 12 months, are starting to improve and, in fact, are starting to outperform. And we think the Chinese are in big trouble. Their corn prices in China are about 8 $9 a bushel, the biggest premium to U.S. price um, in 20 years. And so when we look at that, and they've been buying some record amounts of corn, we think the demand side of the story could be at least two or 300 million bushels too small. And we're going to have to see the USDA raise those, you know, raise to the, the, the demand that, to that level over the next couple of months on top of taking crop production away. Sean, looking at, I'll finish up the corn discussion here before we transition to soybeans, but looking at the corn markets, a lot of farmers, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, have argued that these prices until recently um, haven't lended themselves really to make any strong cash sales when you look at the basis. Is this going to be their opportunity to price some of those bushels that maybe they have not priced as of yet? Well, I know from personally, a lot of my customers, you know, who you know, had a lot of basis contracts, they locked in earlier in the year when basis was better, you know, been kind of waiting to see if they could get a bump up in price to, you know, to price that basis contract. And so I think we're going to see a lot of that, Delaney. I think there's a lot of corn that does need to be priced. Whether it's the best price of the year or not, that's not the consideration. The consideration is, you know, they have to do something with the contract before it, it, it has to be done. And so we think there'll be a lot of that going on. Uh, on, on those kinds of contracts. But for the most part, if you have corn that you can kind of sit on, um, we've waited out a little bit. We think we're going to get much better prices later on in the year. So, Well, now, Sean, let's talk a little bit about the soybean market because today's move was certainly powerful to the upside. And I haven't heard a lot of folks claiming there was substantial bean demand coming out of this derecho. It's tough to see that as the driving cause of this move to the, to the positive. What, what else is happening in the world of soybeans? We think the big thing, Mike, is that we're finally at the point where the increase in the Asian hog herd that we've been talking about after, you know, post-African swine fever is finally kicking in. We're finally seeing demand for soybeans, import demand from China, not necessarily from the United States, but overall import demand from China and Asia overall setting records. And when we look at bean meal exports out of, for example, Argentina and places that sell a lot of bean meal, they're also starting to really, really pick up. So we think that we're finally at the point of, seeing that strong bean meal demand and that throughput of buying soybeans to crush them for this massive historical herd, uh, you know, herd rebuild in Asia that we think is just getting started and will at least last the next 12 to 18 months. So we think there's something to that nature going on 
my uh, kind of a longer term, bigger picture. And, 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 and when we look at those big, big floods that they had in China, half of the soybean crop is underwater. And so not that they grow a lot of soybeans in China, but for every bit that they normally count on, they have to buy that much more. So I think that's kind of what's going on here with soybeans on top of the soybeans just catching away from a general grain market rally. So, Sean, with a a general grain market rally, are you expecting soybeans to have a turnaround Tuesday, tomorrow, maybe a little quick reset and then continuing on their upward trend? Yes. We think grain markets have a strong upside, Delaney and Mike, into September. We think right when we normally would expect the harvest lows in late Mm -hmm. September, early October is actually when we're going to looking for some kind of a high point. Um, exactly opposite of what you would normally expect. And like I said, we've been talking about this price pattern many, many months ago that was likely to happen. And so we're expecting this to, get, to move well into September before we're thinking of an important top. But can we have a setback, you know, uh, you know, some profit taking? Of course we can. But I don't think it's going to be anything more than a shallow correction on an ongoing uptrend in September. Sean, I've got to push you a little harder because I know farmers out there listening are going to think, okay, if we have this much upside left, what is your ceiling for soybeans? In, for the, in the near term, let's say into the September, it's hard for us to see unless we had some kind of a dramatic change in weather here in August, which it doesn't look like we're going to have. You know, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think we can press much above the nine and a half on the soybeans, the November, November soybeans. To me, that's kind of a wall. You know, that we're going to be pretty hard for us to overshoot that unless something else comes along that we're not aware of right now. Well, Sean, you mentioned the uh, African swine fever hogs coming back. You know, we talked a little bit during the podcast about how China is producing more and more poultry. As you look out for the future of the pork markets, where do you see us moving if China is indeed finding alternate sources of protein or able to grow their own hogs? Well, I mean, there's, there's going to be a point where this whole this, pro, this meat protein hole that's developed over the last couple of years shuts down, Mike. It's going to take some time. You can't make up all that lost pork through, strictly through increasing chicken and fish uh, and even increased beef imports that they've been doing. We think it's going to take the, until the latter half of 21 before they get their pork production up to a level that can cause them to ease back on their imports of overall meat protein. So we still feel the biggest impediment to U.S. hog prices going higher, of course, was the shutdowns of the packing plants, which has now sort of been you know, taken care of. But the bigger issue is we have too many hogs coming to market, despite very strong demand. We think that because farrowings this summer and, the, and this fall are going to be down almost at tw- uh, down at a growth rate uh, reduction of and a 20-year uh, decline, we think that lack of foul wings says we can finally get supply side back into balance and let the strong demand take hog prices higher. So we're pretty optimistic. Hogs are finally going to get a bump here uh, into the fall, into the, you know, into the fourth quarter. Sounds like a lot of things could get a bump here, but we'll have to just watch and see what the markets do. Sean Hackett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Delaney. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys do a wonderful job, and I really is an honor to be on your program. Big thanks to Sean for coming on the podcast today. Always appreciate his insight. And folks, if you want to get caught up on anything that's happened in the podcast or fill us in on what is happening in ag in your part of the world, hit us up on social media. Go to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and search for Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.